Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Vanessa Toro, Vice President, Creative Strategy at Digitas North America. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 64. This is the first time I'm recording in my new home office, though the equipment is all the same, so it shouldn't sound too different. I'm feeling really great about the move and all the things We Are Next has planned for the rest of the year, which is coming so quickly. I hope you're all doing well, and a special hello to any new first-time listeners out there. Our guest this week is Vanessa Toro, Vice President of Creative Strategy at Digitas North America. What I love about this conversation is that it's so much more about the things Vanessa does outside of work, her identity, and how those things shape her approach to her work inside of Digitas, her leadership style, and the way she teaches strategy. Let's get to it. Enjoy. Vanessa, thanks so much for joining me via Skype. This, I feel like, is a long time coming. (laughs) We've been planning this for a while. Your name came up from one of your former students, I believe, from the boot camp, Um, Danielle. She was like, on LinkedIn, she was like, Vanessa, you have to get her on the podcast. She's amazing. Um, And then we connected shortly after that. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start by going back to the beginning? I'd love to hear about how you found advertising, this industry that we work in, and how you made your way into your first role and and got to where you are today. Sure. So in terms of how I found advertising, I'd say advertising found me. Um, I was living my life. It was great. Um, Pretty much since I graduated from college, I have freelanced or consulted or any manner of not working for someone. (laughs) So all of that has revolved around communications, thinking strategically about what we need to say to people. But those things didn't necessarily have a name for me. I moved on to social media very early on. I was an early adapter and I was freelancing in that and had little local clients. And one day my phone rang uh, from an, a recruiter who heard about my skill set, which is graphic design, copywriting, and coding. That was my skill set at the time. I can say I'm rusty on coding now. <laughs> but basically, they were looking to start a one-person shop for social media uh, inside a financial client's office. So that did not sound appetizing. <laughs> um, however, after some back and forth, They convinced me to give it a whirl, and I did. And my life changed since then. When someone finds advertising and I think strategy specifically, I do feel like whatever it is you did before, there ends up being a through line. We just like don't see it at the time. Can you talk about some of the skills that you honed in whatever you did before you sort of dove into advertising and strategy that you found to be valuable within the walls of an agency? Absolutely. So I definitely think everything I've ever done has led up to this and informs my work. Something as simple as working at the post office when I was in college taught me how to deal with high-stress situations (laughs) And empathizing with people and customers. Um, Freelancing taught me all about time management and, you know, client relationships. Being on MySpace 
taught me how to customize my page and that's how I taught myself HTML. But all of those design chops have come in for making beautiful presentations. So there's just a lot of transferable skills from everything I've done, be it retail, post office, dance, doesn't matter, to informing what it is I do or how I do it. When we're on our intro call, I think you mentioned that Digitas is actually your first agency and your first role as a strategist within an agency, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, on both fronts. So can so you? So I did. Yeah. Can you tell me ahead. how that came about and how you how you got to Digitas? So yeah, that recruiter that was that called me up and that I turned down a couple of times. She actually worked for the New York office, and again, they were looking for a very specific skill set. And so I came in under social media. I came to sort of start the practice and get it going here in the Southeast, particularly for one client. However, in the midst of doing that work and showing, you know, my thinking and the way that social extended beyond just these little platforms and how it could work with the larger work, the head of planning here just very plainly one day and coolly looked at me and she told me, you are a planner. And I said, uh, what, what is that? <laughs> then she proceeded to tell me all the things that make up a planner. And I said, you're right. I am a planner. And she asked me if I was interested in switching over from social to strategy. And I said, hell yeah. <laughs> when we first talked one of the things that struck me about you is you talked about being a consumer and a creator of culture in and of itself. And I'd love to hear from you how that manifests in your own life and why you think that's important for strategists specifically. Sure. So I think partly not coming up in this industry, I have a just broader perspective of people I don't fall into groupthink and I don't think in frameworks of, you know, marketing necessarily. So that point of view definitely comes from all the things I do outside of work, which is a lot of things. I'm involved heavily politically. I have a clothing line outside of work. I have collaborative art installations I do with folks. So my hand is in multiple pots. Um, all from my desire to see change or to impact it or somehow influence. And I really see my work here as an extension of that, really. You know, at the core, I think planning is about changing, changing the world, changing behavior, changing, you know, business results, change. So to me, it's very important to not simply sit with theory and, and the academic rigor, which I appreciate, of course, but really be about making stuff and bringing things to life. They might fall apart, but that's also great for you to experience. So I think it's very important for us to be out in the world, participating in it fully, creating stuff, and not just simply sitting behind our screens and running reports and you know, Googling things. I think that's a profound perspective because I, when, especially when people are starting out, I think it's an easy trap where it's tempting to think that in order to do my job well, I need to look at what's been done in the industry to kind of like swirl within the world of advertising in and of itself. And 
when we think about the things that we make that go out and exist in the real world and need to, needs to speak to like very different types of people, I mean, the more exposure and experience that we can get out there participating in the world, it, it can only inform the things that we make that we put out in the world. I don't know, it seems it seems obvious, but I, I do think when people are just starting out, it seems superfluous to like go out and do other things. But I think to your point, especially especially for strategists, all of that is just fodder for connecting different ideas, seeing you know things that don't exist between two two worlds and um you just really can't get that like you said staying in the world of of theory. Yeah, that's exactly it. You you said it quite beautifully, but you cannot bring new ideas or, you know, have divergent notions of things when you're constantly surrounded by the same kinds of people, the same kind of thoughts and frameworks. I love my coworkers, but in general, I am not surrounded by advertising people. I think that helps me a lot at my job. I have a real grasp of what people are actually struggling with, and I you know, do not talk about millennials as a monolith. Right. I, I, I won't even say that word, except for right now. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important. I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome, which is something we discussed um, quite extensively on our initial intro call. And you had mentioned that your specific combination of not coming up in the ad industry, which we talked about a little bit, and also being a woman of color really affected your level of confidence when you started working agency side. Can you talk about that experience and how you were able to build your confidence over time? Sure. So there were numerous factors at work, right? One of them being... I never really worked for a company. So that's the first cultural shift of going from working to my for myself and you know keeping receipts of everything I ever do to <laughs> coming in and getting to think freely, like actually having time to think about things. So one was a cultural shift just coming here, but then there's just all of these sort of social norms and mores that I did not have to contend with as someone who simply navigates her way through the world, you know, making a living, you know, however she sees fit. So I'm like, how am I supposed to dress? And am I too much? Because I kind of am a lot. So all of these things came to mind. And at some point, I verbalized them. I remember having conversations with people about, you know, how to make sure you come in, you know, in a good fashion, how to make sure you're properly, I'd say, acknowledging what came before you. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you're observing any culture or society, you need to simply sit back and watch how things are, how the natives behave. <laughs> and, and then, you know, depending on that, you make your way through. So, early on, I would say I was 80% Vanessa. Certainly, you know, brought my wits, my sense of humor, my style, my fashion for sure. But there were reservations around certain things. Um, At different times in my career, I've thought about accent reduction or, you know, ways of conforming to the very neutralized, boring (laughs) expectation. I shed all of that for sure. Um. One particular instance was someone saw me outside of work or saw a picture of me, I can't remember which, and they said, 
oh, wow, that's so awesome. Why don't you ever dress that way at work? And I had a you know, head wrap and I don't know what else. And I said, well, because it's work. And they were like, you can bring that person in. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And I decided to test the waters. And it was not a problem. No one blinked their eye. Nothing happened. So progressively, I started pushing that a little further. Um, but as far as imposter syndrome is concerned, because I kind of went all over the place, it's a mix of being a woman of color, for sure, not being from a corporate world, and suddenly being thrust into a role that I had never even heard of, but I felt extremely capable because I'm simply a planner by nature, and then went on to you know, do all of the reading and delving and research that one needs to do, but the fact of the matter is Nobel Peace Prize winners and the most poignant comics suffer from it occasionally. For me, it manifests in thinking I'm going to fail in a very big, visible fashion. Right. It's it's not at all about, you know, I can't do it. It's I really f- sometimes will feel the pressure and think, I'm just going to blow it. Mm-hmm. This is just going to... It's going to all fall apart, and I'm just going to be exposed. I'm just going to be out there. And then, you know, I heard Maya Angelou say something very similar. And I just, you know, have internalized that as one fact of life. If you're doing anything worth doing, you may have that thought. And secondly, as a woman of color, too, you, you're you sort of trailblazer of a lot of firsts. So you're the first in your family to go to college. You're the first in your community to do X. And then you're the first in your workplace to do something. So there's a progressive building of confidence, but also of wondering, am I really supposed to be here? But I largely own it. Yes, I'm supposed to be here. Your example is so, I mean, this the specificity of feeling like you're going to just blow it. I saw a wonderful graph. I think it was from BuzzFeed or something, but (laughs) it was a graph about imposter syndrome or a chart. And it was basically saying the same thing where like the more that we're given, the more we achieve. It's just an opportunity for us. There's like more at stake to lose. (laughs) And so you're just like, shit, like it's not, it's hard. It makes it hard to, you know, celebrate your successes and really like acknowledge like, wow, like look how much I've accomplished that I can accomplish. Um, Look how much I'm capable of. It's always just kind of like setting us up to (laughs) to, like lose everything. Um, So I totally, and I totally know what that feels like. Your um, example also of kind of bringing your full self, your full Vanessa to work and the, the baby steps to, to, to get you there. And I mean, it's wonderful that Digitas has in your team has encouraged you to, you know, bring your full self to work, to not tamp yourself down. I think your advice around kind of observing the um, environment, because not Unfortunately, not all agencies are Digitas. Um, And while they might not explicitly say, like, you can't wear that to work, I think think it's very sage and realistic advice to kind of assess the situation. Um, Not saying you need to, like, ask permission, but just, like, knowing what you're walking into um, and, and making a judgment call that way. Absolutely. I'm certainly all about authenticity and, you know, owning who you are and being so comfortable in that. But I also live 
in reality, and I encourage everyone else to. And the fact of the matter is that every office, every neighborhood has its own structure and rules and unstated beliefs. That's just the reality of life. And, you know, when I come to work and I see so many women with natural hair, I love it to the point that, you know, I take it for granted. And then I go to other places and I see, oh, you know, that's not a reality everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't feel like you're sacrificing necessarily because every single person, regardless of, you know, how you identify, you're going to have to make some accommodations for the new space you inhabit. That's just, you know, human interaction 101. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if maybe certain aspects aren't fully embraced, like on a larger, let's say, agency level, like I think that doesn't mean that you can't on an individual level share just the way you share, you know, that photo of yourself outside of work with your coworker or they saw it or something like that. So it's not to say like you need to actively like hide yourself when you're when you're interacting with people. Right. It's sort of like understanding then being aware of the larger context of of the work environment overall and the agency overall. I think that's a really good distinction. How does your identity as a woman of color affect the way that you lead in your role as vice president? I think there's so much talk about you know, how women have to act like men to lead because we naturally see like men in leadership roles and those those kind of uh, stereotypical like corporate leadership qualities seem very like naturally masculine. But I'd like to know what characteristics of you as a woman of color contribute to your approach and success as a leader. Sure. So I would say that my bicultural uh, identity heavily influences how I lead. Partly, I feel like I've taken the great parts of my culture and left behind the ones that would not suit me well and that really are not part of my identity. So for example, um, in my culture, we are very cognizant and respectful of children and elders, Mm -hmm. right? So in terms of an intergenerational approach and fondness and appreciation for what anyone can bring to the table, I do not have those, you know, limitations around this person aged out or this person's too young. I, I don't suffer from any of that. Alongside that, coming from working class immigrant family, my work ethic is unmatched. Um, I really show what I expect. Mm-hmm. So whatever that means, rolling on my sleeves and being here all the time or not, however it is that I get that job done, I set that model for people um, so that they know when they come in what I'm expecting to see. Um, also, along that stratification line, Yes, I spent a lot of time with executives and marketing people, but I also make a point to interact with the maintenance crew and, you know, all the people that remind me of my dad. So at no point is there any kind of like um, hierarchy in my mind. Mm -hmm. Occasionally that does not work in an agency. I will tell people that um, I've learned that. Because I feel like I can talk to anyone and anyone can talk to me, I don't really see those levels. 
occasionally it turns out you may have skipped a few levels mm -hmm. and you know you're not supposed to talk to so and so but in general it serves me very well um i have a pulse on the culture i have a pulse on like how people actually feel because people know they can trust me um I'm very transparent and direct. That does not really come from my culture. <laughs> my, <laughs> my culture is a little more passive aggressive. Yeah. Um, you know, so I feel like those American parts of me, um, but also as a woman coming up, right? It's like, you have to learn how to negotiate. You have to learn how to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to find champions. All of these things that were very foreign concepts and that I didn't really believe in because I thought it was a meritocracy out here. <laughs> Um, you know, now I'm very well versed in all of that and can share that with the, the women coming up behind me. So I think as a woman of color, I prioritize the people mm -hmm. if I was going to just distill it. Mm -hmm. I am all about the people and the what they want out of their career, right? Like they're shaping their career while they're going through their career. Right, so right. what do you want to work on? What are you not getting enough of? even if it's something that's going to be on the side. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I can't find a client project for you to do that will fill that muscle, but let's do something, you know, just ourselves. So um, I would say all of those things inform because I feel like women know to support and champion each other, at least this wave. Um, I make a point to develop the women around me and mentor them. And I want to see everybody up here. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. Going back to what you said about, I thought it was really interesting, your point about where you come from making that kind of like directness uh, with the way that you communicate, asserting yourself, um, maybe not the most natural thing and something that you needed to uh, develop or or think about more closely or, you know, that, that sort of the American influence of... of <laughs> you coming up in this world. Um, and as you mentor and pull up other women behind you, can you think about some of your tips in terms of like getting comfortable with that sort of directness or what, what can people keep in mind? Um, people who like you, maybe it doesn't feel natural to be more direct. Like they're more inclined to be a little more passive. They don't want to be confrontational. Do you have any words for them. So I should clarify in that I am very direct and always have been. What I have developed is tact. <laughs> so okay. um I had you know growing up had problems with my culture and and being accepted by them because I don't play games and I just get right to the point and mm -hmm. I don't couch it in pleasantries and that's seen as rude. Then I came into a phase where people love that, you right. know, fellow writers or people are like, yes, now my work is amazing. And then I just needed to find the place in the middle, which is tell the truth and assert yourself, but one care about how it's received. There was a time when I was not so concerned with that <laughs> care about how it's received, but more importantly, um, judge, or speak to, you know, what you need or the behavior and not the person. Mm -hmm. That has been a very important thing, particularly like in giving feedback. 
I've always told my people, none of this is about you as a person. This is not a judgment of you. It is what we need from you or what your teammate needs from you. Um, you know, all of that feedback is great. So back to directness. I think directness is what you should strive for. But more important than directness, I think, is just the speaking up part. Mm. A lot of people struggle with that or don't realize what staying quiet is, how that's perceived. Right. So for all the introverts out there or people like me early in my career where I felt everything had been said, I don't need to say anything just to say something, you know, people fill in the gap of your silence with their own stuff. Mm. She's shy. She's not confident. She's blank, right? You don't want to give people that control over your narrative. So speaking up is essential for carving away at any of those preconceived notions surrounding quietness or, you know, being timid. Yeah, you need to speak up. I feel like worry about getting more direct later. The, the first thing yeah. is certainly just make sure that you are chiming in and adding value and sharing your point of view because that's why you're there. I love that that the way that you I've never heard it said that way in terms of like other people filling in you know, the blank on you. I think that's a really, really great way to think about it because yeah, especially in those first years, which are so formative and kind of like defining like how you are in the office and like how people see you, especially when you're you know, newer or new to a company. Um, I, I wanted to go back too to, you know, kind of plus one, what you said about feedback. I know I'm jumping back a little bit, but in terms of being able to separate what you said about the way that you deliver feedback and making sure your team understands that it, it, you're really commenting on on the work and, and what needs to, to come out of them versus like them as a person. And I think on the receiving end, if anyone receives feedback from their boss, like it, it's also, um, yeah, being able to separate yourself from your work, just it, it makes you so much more resilient too to that kind of feedback um, because feedback is only going to make us better and stronger and and um, more valuable to the team as long as we're able to actually like receive it internalize it and not be like taken down for days because you feel like you failed or you're just like not good enough or your boss hates you or whatever it is um so I think that's a really important point last year you started teaching uh Miami ad schools account strategy boot camp on the side which again how we kind of first got connected what is your approach to teaching strategy? I'm always so curious because I think it's one of those skills or fields where it is very difficult to teach because what we do, a lot of the job is in our heads or, you know, like the way we think. So anyways, I'd love to hear your approach to teaching strategy. So... I will preface it with this, which is the boot camp is set up with a different theme each week or a different, you know, portion of this discipline. So I was brief writing. So very specific to brief writing. So I was the third week. So the students had, you know, their intro week one and, you know, maybe research week two. I don't know. However, when I came in, 
Um, I'm all about challenging your preconceived notions. That's where I start with everything. So one, forget everything you heard before you walked in this room. Mm -hmm. And I like to be disarming. Um, I want people to bring the unexpected. And so that's how I kick things off. So brief writing is an art form. I love it. Uh, Presenting briefings are, you know, my jam. Um, But one, I made it extremely interactive and almost physical. Mm. Um, It's hard because these are like big chunks of time you teach for like four or five hours at a time. However, um, not knowing what they had experienced the weeks before, I didn't know how my approach was going to be received, right? Because every week it's a different instructor. Right. My students were so engaged. One, if you're in strategy, you're very engaged and you're curious and you're already an amazing person. (laughs) You're already off to a great start. However, um, I just immediately wanted to get to the stuff, right? So we spent a significant amount of time on reframing the problem, spending time with the problem. I mean, that's 90% of our job is actually deciphering that part. The solution is kind of easy. It's just getting to the right problem first. Um, You know, then I had them break into groups and brief me on something. They were so enthusiastic and so into it. But I think really I just gave them very practical things that they were able to put into use. And, you know, it's, well, a year later, and I still get notes about how they remembered this line, or they just used a deck that I shared with them to help them get to insights Mm. at their new job. Um, So I just really wanted to arm them, because I know people like theory, and there's probably lots of theories around briefs and brief writing, but, like, let's just get to it. Mm -hmm. So. Most of brief writing does not involve any writing, but all of the thinking that happens. So brief writing didn't even happen till the last day. Um, That's the last step, right? Writing a brief is the culmination of all your great thoughts and the things you found and your searing insight and all that. Yeah, that's something, I mean, when I think about where next, we're always trying to make sure that whatever advice we're giving is like really actionable and applicable. Like it's so easy for people in the context of like career development or getting your start in the industry to just say things like, you know, like be confident and like all this stuff. And it's like, what, what, like how does that actually manifest in how I do my work, how I interact with people as we talked with earlier, bring myself to the agency, et cetera. So um, I, Definitely can appreciate that. And one of the things, too, that I think strategists, when they're sort of teaching and and mentoring younger strategists who are just starting, one of the things that is really challenging is kind of showing your work. Again, like we know how we do it, right, in our heads and we're like can like bang out a deck and put together that narrative or write the brief, like you said, and do the thinking. But to actually like sit down with someone and say and break it down and say, okay, here's how I go about it. Here is my thought process from start to finish that manifests itself in in this brief at the end. I think it's 
it's really challenging again because we it sort of becomes like natural and second nature to you but um to again to have to show your work is is a a big a big feat i think (laughs) absolutely teaching was a very educational experience for me it was a challenge to wrap my mind around how do i break down what i've essentially been doing my whole life without knowing that it had a name you know that i see patterns easily that i connect dots on a subconscious level how do i talk to people about that so it was an incredible exercise to go through and try to break that down and not only break it down uh, make it something that people can understand and hopefully execute on. Right. And it's a worthwhile thing for everybody to do at some point. Just pause and reflect on how you operate and how would you explain that to someone. Um, I think we can fall in love with the idea of like all the magic we do and, um, you know, we go away and we come back <laughs> with an incredible single idea. But, um, there are actually things that can help people get started, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fill in the blank phrases just to get attention going or, you know, ways to interrogate the brief um, to see if it holds any water, you know? So, yeah, I recommend <laughs> every, I recommend everyone do it. It's yeah. great. No, it is it's wonderful. Great. It is wonderful. You said something, and we can wrap up this um this question on this, but you said something in the intro call that I thought was so wonderful about just strategy today. And like maybe in the past, like we pride ourselves in like really being smart and clever as strategists, but that today I think there is an effort to make strategy more accessible, or at least that's what you would like to see out there in the industry. Um, I don't know if you had any closing thoughts uh, about that. I mean, I think it all just goes back to it goes beyond strategy. It just goes to human interaction. For me, you know, nothing provocative or amazing or life-changing came from big words. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I have a degree in English literature. I love the dictionary. I love, you know, I have a thesaurus, etc. That's all well and good. But, you know, as we know, that limits the people who have access to things. Mm-hmm. And we need more perspectives and we need more points of view. And the fact of the matter is that if you know your shit, you should be able to explain it to, you know, your five-year-old niece. Yeah. That's the bottom line. So I hate the gratuitous overcomplication of things. I am not impressed by people who throw out all of this strategic jargon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand it, but you're not even saying anything. So I'm not here for the bullshit is basically, yeah. is basically what it is, right? Like we have an incredible job where we get to question everything. We get to push clients. Why would we waste it, you know, this responsibility with a bunch of circular talk? And um, yeah, like, we all know that divergent thinking leads to amazing ideas, return on investment that just blows everything else out of the water. But for some reason, we insist on keeping, you know, the walls up. Mm-hmm. For me, that class that I had with those students was incredible, you know, to have women of color. 
I doubt that very many Latinx folks know about account planning. Right. I mean, I didn't. Um, there's hardly any in advertising because we're just not even aware of what's available. And we have points of view. Um, and I think I often come across like medium thought pieces or even tweets of people of color or, you know, anyone else where I'm like, this person would be such a great strategist. Mm -hmm. Just from how well they framed it that no, I've never heard anyone say X that way, right? right? And making it. um, So yeah, I just want more awesome people to get in and not just the ones that already know people or, you know, have the privilege of, studying it exclusively or whatever the case may be yeah I mean it all all goes back to what we were saying earlier about what we do what we do like going out and influencing and living in like the real world so like yeah like it's not when we stay in the world of jargon or big words or like big concepts like it's that's so disconnected from the real world the more that we can integrate the real world which is like very diverse and doesn't necessarily come from like an advertising background I think um I mean, it, it can only help what we do and, and the ideas that, that are brought to the table. Yeah. Let's wrap things up. We always end with the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, whether it's about advertising, career, or just life in general. The best piece of advice I've ever gotten, and it's about career and life in general, <laughs> is get used to being uncomfortable. And, you know, it's one thing to get used to it and it's another thing to seek it out, which is fortunately where I am now, where I feel comfortable continuing to stretch and have that confidence of taking it to the next level and getting that dopamine rush (laughs) for overcoming yet, you know, another terrifying thing. Um, But the bottom line is if you have ideas and you don't necessarily fit a mold, you're going to stand out and you have to get comfortable with that. But also, you know, get used to being the only person that has that point of view or, you know, that black lipstick, whatever. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how you know it's needed, right? If you are the only one, otherwise who, who would be bringing that POV to the table? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Occasionally I'm like, "Mm." I'm getting tired of being that person. <laughs> um, but but generally, you know, I hold it down. I, I really believe in what I'm saying. So Yeah, yeah I love it. I, it's a great piece of advice. This has been so such a rich conversation. I think you brought your very unique perspective to it. But from your, you know, how you came into the industry to the way that you sort of operate in your role today. So I really appreciate you taking the time and and sharing your perspective and advice. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for being so persistent (laughs) in in making this happen. I'm happy to share, particularly for all the outliers out there and people who don't exactly fit the stated requirements. Yeah. Where can people, those people and other people, keep up with you and what you're doing? Um. Pretty much I am Frida's brow on any platform except for LinkedIn where I use my real name. <laughs> but Frida's brow. That would be just such a power move if your LinkedIn name was Frida's brow as, as well. <laughs> Do not dare me. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so Instagram is largely my platform this week. It used to be Twitter, but yeah. All right. Well, I'll include the links to everything so that people can can keep up with you and connect. Again, thank you so much. Thank you. Many, many thanks to Vanessa. Her bit about speaking up so that others don't fill your silence with assumptions about you, that is going to stay with me for a while. I hope you enjoyed the episode, especially if you, like Vanessa, didn't come from an advertising background. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, check out all of our resources from our weekly email, our job board, and the We Are Next Index. You can find all our resources at we-r-next.com. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. Enjoy the loveliness that is fall if you're somewhere that has fall. I'm Natalie, and until next time, you got this.